Hey, PT listeners, we've been working on something special at Tier 11, something that I can say without exaggeration or without hesitation will produce better ad optimization and increased conversions and have a profound impact on the amount of data you can send back to all your ad platforms. That includes Meta, that includes TikTok, that includes Google, and we call it X-Ray Tag. And it's only available to Tier 11 customers. A lot of businesses think that it's Black Friday, it's the holiday season, and once they actually get through that, then they'll worry about next year. Well, now is the time for you to start gathering all the data that you can to set yourself and your business up for success in 2024. X-Ray Tag replaces all the potpourri of pixels, cappies, cookies with one single implementation that sends higher quality first-party data back to all your ad platforms. In fact, in our early testing, we've seen a 40 to 100% increase in event matching quality, aka EMQs in Meta, which translates into better ad optimization and increased conversions. So if you feel like your ads are flying blind, head on over to tier11.com forward slash x-ray to get early access. Clients to sign up before the end of the year, move to the front of the line, and we are only offering this for the PT listener like yourself. So head on over to tier11.com forward slash x-ray. Don't miss out. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales for your business through paid traffic. I'm your host. Kasim Aslam. And joining me today is a voice that you've probably not heard a lot from, but we're excited to welcome Ralph Burns. Thanks for being the guest host on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Kasim. It's quite yeah. a nice show you got here. You like Appreciate- my intro flex? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah. It's, It was authoritative, yeah. but cool at the same time. I appreciate that. That's what I was going for. When you're in charge of the show, I just want to remember. I just want to remind you of the cadence, like how it all works. I just realized that it doesn't go poorly because of me. It goes poorly because of your heckling. I do like to sabotage you a little bit on this, which is good. Yeah, it's to remind you, like who, who's the veteran podcast host? I see oh, now you're now Kasim Aslam. Like you're worldwide celebrity. You're speaking in all continents, like everywhere. You're all over the place. You are digital yeah, herpes, which that. we said before. I am digital herpes. That's exactly right. You'll never get rid of me. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. I hear you have a nugget. I got a nugget for you. Yeah. I'm this so is, excited. I haven't done a nugget in a while, but this one is something that worked really well when we sold info products. You, there was a day where we had an agency program, which is an info product, which was a digital coaching program. But then we also had info products on how to run Facebook ads for years and years. But this is one where we launched our agency program, and I noticed this worked really well. And you and I are big fans of this in one way, shape, or form. So this was a strategy that is very simple somewhat counterintuitive and does roll into the Dennis Yu content factory strategy. And we'll leave links in the show notes back to that episode where we talked about that because it it really transformed, I think, the trajectory of both of our businesses in a lot of ways, especially the visibility side. entire content strategy is based off of his advice. Absolutely. And it makes total sense. So anyway, so here's what the strategy is. Dennis advocates or espouses, just put content out there, get it out there everywhere. There's a way in which you can distribute it and disseminate it and in essence, syndicate it onto all the channels. 
And we're doing that quite a bit right now, especially a lot of short form video, a lot of stuff on reels and TikTok and YouTube shorts and all that sort of stuff. And then we do some longer form videos. Way back years ago, we used to do the same thing when we launched our agency accelerator program, where I would just do long form videos on helpful, useful tips for agency owners. And if you want to go to Agency Accelerator, I think it's probably the videos are probably still on Facebook to this day. But anyway, the point is what we would do is we would get people to watch those videos and then we would simply retarget them with a book a call ad. So we would just boost them with no conversion, not a conversion objective, and then just take those audiences, which right now are very valuable audiences because a video view audience on the meta platforms is an in-app audience. And it has no bearing on the iOS 14 privacy updates because it's you're capturing people on platform and then you can use those audiences to then retarget. Whereas if you're trying to get somebody to click on an ad, go to your website, the pixel then fires, or maybe if you're smart and you've set up conversions API, hopefully you have, there's a cross match there that then is sent back to ads manager inside the Facebook ad platform or the meta platform is what we refer to it now, and you get your tracking. But there's still some visibility loss. There's still some data loss that goes on there. Obviously, Facebook now has modeling that helps eliminate that or at least mitigate it to a certain degree. So in-app audiences are gold right now. So what we've done is we've started to really distribute a lot of content. And one of the one of the areas that we found really works is a one particular video style, which is just sort of useful, helpful information about like a real world business and how they how they incorporate concepts of digital marketing or advanced tactics for what we refer to as conversion architecture, which is everything after the click, like your upsells, your downsells, your ability to add order bumps, a lot of the stuff that we talk here on the show. So anyway, so we created content around this and then we realized people really like this stuff. So we pulled that content series into what we refer to as our social boosting campaigns in our Facebook ad campaigns, where we set a video view target or video view campaign objective, sorry. And we just disseminate as much content as we can that's helpful and useful. And then we take those audiences, those 25% video views, or maybe the first 15 seconds video view, and then we retarget them to a book a call. And what we typically have found is that that makes logical sense, but it's hard to do in actuality because you have to find the right type of content. The first part of this is the essential part, is Dennis Yu's idea of get as much content out there, see what resonates, and then pull in the stuff that's working, put some paid ads behind it. That's exactly what we did. And so in this case, put paid ads behind it, not conversion ads, video view objective, and then we simply retarget the audiences to book a call with us, to schedule a call, to come talk to our VP of growth. And we are getting booked scheduled calls at, I would say, 150th of the price of our normal book a call campaigns. It is so infinitesimally small that it's working so well. It's literally for dollars, single dollars we're getting booked calls as opposed to triple digits, hundreds of dollars per booked call. So it's working so well. Yes, that's what we're going to be doing next. But it's this concept of 
being helpful and useful and not asking for the sale on the first touch. Duh. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as marketers? Oftentimes, we all just want to go for the sale, right? It's much easier. Create some conversion ads. Go after the sale. You're probably going to get maybe one in 100 people get go and buy the first time they interact with you. What do you do with the other 99? Not all 99 are going to buy from you through retargeting ads. There's going to be a percentage that's just never going to buy from you. So by using video view audiences or brand awareness audiences or what Facebook or Meta refers to as consideration audiences, all you're doing, you're gathering so much more, you're spreading, you're casting the net so much wider and then you retarget based upon in-app audiences. In this particular case, it is video views. You can do the same sort of thing with instant experience ads as well, which is basically in-app sort of stuff. You can do it with lead ads. You can do it with a lot of different things like at the top of the funnel. But what we found is that if you put helpful, useful content that works and put some money behind it, just like Dennis U advocates, and then just retarget them to the thing that you really want using in-app audiences, boom, you have a formula for success. And iOS 14 is taken completely out of the equation. So we're pretty excited about that. Dude, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I really love that. I need to start doing that right now today because I'm creating all the content. It's already there. And I think that's everybody's problem is they create the content and then they don't put enough juice behind it. They just continuously move on to creating more content, but the promotion isn't there. You know what it reminds me of? Do you know Joe Polish? Of course, yeah. Joe just wrote a book called What's In It For Them. I'm right in the middle of it right now, and it's great. And it's unusual that people come up with a good twist on an old topic, but Joe's done that. It's It reminds me, he actually says in the beginning of the book, he says that this book wouldn't exist without Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But it feels like that updated, and Joe's his entire thesis is give, give. And then in the books, he comes up with ways to give. Like one of them, that the chapter that I'm on now is finding people's pain. Where are they suffering? And then using that and not using it in a predatory way, but in a very authentic way, like helping to alleviate their suffering. And that's how you build a relationship. And I, it's, I feel like that's what you're doing with content. You know, you're not asking for anything. There's no conversion goal on the front end. It's just like, Hey, Facebook, let's go give to people. And then oh, lo and behold, when I give to people, it builds a really uh, compelling audience that I can then capitalize on later. I think it's genius. Yeah. Imagine that actually going out there and helping people and then not necessarily asking for the sale in the first interaction. Like nobody does that. When you meet somebody at a party, you know, the first thing you say is, yeah, I'm Cosmos Solutions 8. Can I interest you in some Google ads? Like you want to book a call with my salespeople? Like literally that's what a lot of people, how they approach cold traffic, how they approach digital marketing. They do that. And you are going to get if you do it enough, you're going to get some people, maybe one in a hundred, I would say it's a 1% conversion rate that it is going to get that impulse by depending on what your product is. Obviously, that's those mm. variables are going to be changing constantly. But if you did that a hundred times at a party to a hundred different people, maybe one person would book a call with you because they're like, hey, I was looking yeah. for a Google ads agency. What's your number again? And you say, all right, here's my schedule or let me text it to you. But even the one out of a hundred, that's a low quality relationship. Correct. It's very transactional. Correct. The interesting part of this, I know this is a long nugget, but it's an important nugget, is that when you look at the meta platforms, and I have to keep saying that now because it's the meta platforms. It's not just Facebook because it's all the platforms because we use them all together. Like we don't section out like, oh, you're going to use this for Instagram, this for Facebook. We create different stuff for each platform. I get that. Mm. But 
when you look at a, let's say a million person audience, let's say you have a 1% lookalike audience of your customer list that maybe is 2 million people, let's say in the US between certain demographics. In that 2 million person audience, there is there are converters. People that will convert are known to convert based upon their actions that Facebook will target specifically in that 2 million person audience. They will circle the wagons on that little group and ignore like 95% of the rest of the audience because they are not converters. Mm. Instead, if you take the video view objective, for example, there are people that watch videos. That percentage of that 2 million person audience, maybe there's a Venn diagram, a little bit overlap with the converters, but there are people that watch videos on the meta platforms. That is a larger percentage. Maybe it's 20, 25% is my guess, instead of mm. the converters are maybe 2 to 5%. So you're immediately growing your audience. And then if you do brand awareness ads, or if you do lead ads, if you do the same audience, you're actually attracting a different person in that 2 million person audience with the different objective that you're using. And that's how you actually start to expand and grow and scale is by looking at the objective of your campaigns. And we use it as part of what we refer to as objective scaling. And that is a integral part of how we scale up campaigns for our customers. And but if you think about it that way, like the algorithms are so smart, they know who the converters are. They know who the video viewers are. They know the people who are likely to put in their name and email address for a lead. They're more likely the people that might actually watch an ad for a brand awareness objective. All that stuff is in that 2 million person audience. So if you don't use different objectives, you're not going to be able to fully utilize that one audience. I'm not talking about all the other audiences that you can use. So you can see how this has a meta effect on it inside the meta platforms. No pun intended. The other thing that, and I'm sure this is true with Facebook, but I know for a fact it's true with Google. The objective that you're going for can be saturated. So Correct. if you ask for converters, you're going up against everybody asking for converters, which is most advertisers. But if you ask for video views, you've decreased the exposure to that saturation because far fewer advertisers are asking for video views. So you're going to benefit from the fact that you're in just a less occupied territory. And to your point, I'm glad you brought this up. So I'm looking at that campaign right now. So we have the social campaign, which is our video view audiences. And then we have our conversion campaigns. And the difference in CPMs, which is a measure of competition in that market, are we safe to assume that is the case? CPMs are higher in more competitive markets, correct? Sure. Supply and demand. Absolutely. So in the converter markets, I see a CPM of between $30 and $80. And in the video view social boosting campaigns, it is a dollar. Wow, that's nuts, dude. <laughs> so you just want to pour as much money into that as you possibly can. Absolutely. It's a dollar CPM. We're getting video views at 0.0002 cents. It's like, why wouldn't we do that all day? And granted, right. that's a 15-second view. I get it. Like, it's a vanity metric. Like, they should be watching a larger percentage. I we, understand. I, we can't scoff at 15-second views. 15 seconds in the TikTok world, that is a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? That is a long time. I had this conversation with somebody recently where they were a little disturbed at the way that some of the social networks report. And I'm not going to fight them on it too much. But if you just sit behind somebody who's on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube shorts or whatever, and look at how quickly they're swiping. 
Like they're, yep. you have fractions of a second to capture their attention. If somebody watches you for 15 seconds in, in today's day and age, that is a long time. Yeah. I stand corrected. We're actually using a three second audience in that retargeting audience. It's not quite as long. <laughs> it's not quite as long, but what you're yeah. getting is you're getting the people who watch for four seconds, five seconds, a minute, right. two minutes, you're getting everybody. So that's a larger audience. Like I think there's a case study here for a 25% video view audience, what those look like versus your 15 second, your three second, like all that sort of stuff. The point is, yeah, this is a strategy that absolutely works. And it's a scaling strategy, especially if you're dealing with high CPMs right now. And everybody is. Everybody is. Yeah. And they'll only ever go up, dude. CPMs are like every other commodity. It's like beef, corn, and gold. Like they'll never get cheaper. Right. It, it just if you, It's just always just going to get more and more expensive. Um, that's what traffic is too. Ralph, this was a great nugget. Appreciate you bringing this to the table. One thing I wanted to say before we get started is the Perpetual Traffic Podcast is just about traffic which is great, but there's so much more to traffic than just traffic, which is why Ralph has launched a new podcast called the Customer Acquisition Show. Yeah. And if you want to know all the way deep down into post-click territory, Ralph, you guys are going just triple PhD on folks, right? Yeah. I think paid media is just one thing, really, and traffic is one part. I think it's a sexy part, and it's certainly a thing that's helped our business because people think that they need traffic. Oh, I might as well hire an agency. Sometimes you actually don't need to hire an agency. I hate to say that. Is that mm -hmm. awful to say? But it's true. It's Figure out if your offer actually works first. Figure if the world wants your offer. And then once you figure that out, it's kind of like my nugget a bit. Figure out what works, what the consumer actually wants, and then put paid traffic behind it. And I think people get it in reverse. They want the paid traffic first. Like I was just looking through some of our leads and it's like businesses with zero sales. It's like, why would they want to hire us? <laughs> like, I, we don't even know if your product works. You know what? Figure that out first. So the show is a lot about that and the offer itself and offer augmentation, offer optimization, and then how that blends with all the things that we do to acquire customers for our clients and enhance their lifetime value. And that's the whole show is the customer acquisition show. There's also a YouTube channel on that or a YouTube live we do every single week. But yeah, check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. That's awesome. Customer acquisition show. I'm excited. I'm actually really excited to talk about the case study that I have to bring to the table, which is how we spent $500,000 on 15 keywords without any key phrase optimization and had a 300% ROAS in a scaling campaign. But before we do that, we need to cut to a commercial. So I hope everybody will stick around right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Was your Black Friday Cyber Monday not quite as great as you wanted it to be? Did you feel like you were leaving money on the table? You knew you could have made more sales, but you just didn't know where that money was lying on the table? Well, it's probably because you have some blind spots in your business. We here at Perpetual Traffic want to make 2024 your best year ever. And now is the time to plan for it and set yourself up for 2024. It is not after the first of the year because by the time you actually start doing your planning after January 1st, you've already missed a month. So get that planning done now and do it 
on us. We are giving away 10 free audits, which goes through all of your ad platforms, all the platforms that you're spending money on right now, or maybe the ones that you're maybe not spending money on, but we feel that there is a great opportunity for you to spend and scale and grow. We'll also look at everything after the click for your CRO, your conversion architecture, as we call it. We'll even analyze your email sequences. And most importantly, we'll look at your data how you're actually capturing visitors' information, and how it's tracking all the way to your CRM or whatever your source of truth is. And we do this through a comprehensive audit where we rate each section of your customer acquisition path, give you a rating, and then give some recommendations as to what you should do in order to have 2024 be the best year ever. Now, we're only going to offer this for 10 lucky businesses in the month of December. Okay, that's it. That's the only capacity that we have. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash audit. Fill out the form and let's make 2024 the best year ever. All right, Kasim is going to get into his unbelievably crazy, wickedly smart case study here. And I can't wait to hear all about this. 15 keywords, a half a million dollars in spend. What? Anyway, take it away, buddy. Google rolled out something in November 2020 that we affectionately call Broadimation. And it's using broad match keywords with smart bidding. So broad match keywords, smart bidding, and then, of course, responsive search ads, which just means letting Google cycle through ad copy in a way that allows it to algorithmically test what's working instead of you dictating what ad copy looks like. Mm -hmm. So it's machine learning cubed because broad match which everybody is terrified of if you're running google campaigns even now even though it's been working for us for two years and people are still terrified of broad match what broad match does is it gives google the intent so the case study that i have to share here is for yellow leaf hammocks and they're an amazing company by the way they're on shark tank a lot of people have heard of them it's a husband wife couple rachel and joe Mm. And they were in Thailand just visiting on vacation and they came across what they call the world's most comfortable hammock and it birthed this whole company of theirs. And what's really cool about it is they have a, a mission of the heart. They, they're these women in Thailand who are in these horrible slash and burn jobs, these agricultural jobs that they work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Their kids don't go to school. It's an abysmal life. And so what Rachel and Joe do is they take them out of those situations. They teach them how to weave these hammocks. So they learn a skilled trade. They pay them a living wage. They work normal hours. Kids get to go to school. It's amazing. And they've got these stories on their site that you can go to school on. And I bring that up because that ends up being relevant to what we're doing here from an advertising perspective. But what's interesting about it is if you were selling hammocks inside of Google search, you would need to sculpt the phrases that you use, the phrases that you bid on heavily because hammocks get ultra specific in terms of what it is that people are potentially bidding on, as do all products. And so the traditional media buyer starts doing things like skags or heavy keyword sculpting or heavy negative key phrases. And the case study here proves definitively that the machine will beat you. If you try to run a campaign where you're actually defining exactly what it is that we're bidding on, and you go up against Google, where you give Google a soft indication of intent, and then Google goes and tries to find the prospects. Google's going to beat you 100 times out of 100. And I've got 
200 some odd clients and we run automation in almost all of them. And almost all of the time, except where there are, except where there are semantic crossovers that Google is having a hard time leveraging itself out of, automation works every single time. And here's how it works. You go to Google and you say, bid on the term hammock or buy handmade hammock, but it's broad match. And broad match, as you know, Ralph, dangerous. Yeah. Broad match back in the day, if I told Google that I want to bid on the term Google ads agency, I could end up getting a SEO marketing company because Google goes, ah, it's close enough. So the broad match mechanism within Google standalone is catastrophically flawed. And we've told all of our students and all of our clients never use broad match ever for any reason, because you're basically telling Google anything that's even reasonably close to this, I want to bid on. The reason that this changes our tune though, is because it's broad match and smart bidding and smart bidding bids towards a goal. So you're not just using broad match, you're using broad match. And then you're telling Google, Hey, you can bid on any phrase that you want to, as long as it accomplishes this goal. And obviously the goal for yellow leaf hammocks is a conversion. And not just conversion, we want to maximize conversion value. So it's the best conversion that Google can bring back. And dude, what's insane is the phrases that you see in our search terms look to be wildly irrelevant. Google is delivering traffic that if you were to look at it from a manual perspective, you'd be like, this traffic is not going to convert. One one of my favorite examples actually is buy hammock without stand. Here's why that's interesting. All of our hammocks have stands. And people are bidding on buy hammock without stand, and we're showing up for those phrases. Now, if I were sculpting this campaign, adding negative keywords, I I would be pushing that traffic away. And yet, those phrases convert. Hammocks made in the USA. Our hammocks are made in Thailand. So that would be one of the things that I'd be trying to push away. Sure. That traffic converts. And then it starts to lift to the top of the funnel to where you actually start to see some things that you're like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Here's what's funny. We've spent $514,000 in this campaign on 15 phrases. And I can't tell you what the phrases are because I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but they're phrases that are generic as buy hammock, buy handmade hammock, et cetera. We only have 39 negative keywords, which most campaigns have thousands. So if you've run Google ads for any length of time, you know that you need thousands of negative keywords and there's negative keyword CSV files you can download. And there are there's the usual suspects. You always want to have free as a negative keyword unless it's specific to your offer. You want to have jobs as a negative keyword. But when you get to the specifics of sculpting a campaign out, the negative keywords, they become business use cases for every single individual client. In this particular instance, 39 negative keywords adjusted for margin of error is zero, is effectively zero. So we've spent half a million dollars on 15 keywords and we've made $1.6 million. We have a 311% ROAS. Their goal is 250. Now, here's what's really interesting is that's in a scaling campaign. And if you run Google Ads for any length of time, you know that scaling campaigns aren't as efficient because they're looking for new customer acquisition. At any point, we can trim down this campaign and we can get 1,100% ROAS. That's been our high watermark. So anytime the client says, hey, we have some inventory issues. We don't want to stop the scaling. Let's cut in. It's just like weightlifting. You bulk up, cut in. Bulk up, cut in. We right. can cut in. And we can maintain an 1100% ROAS using broad match and smart bidding. And it's massively counterintuitive. And it means you do less work. You give Google a broad match keyword, and then you give Google the, the smart bidding request, basically, like, hey, here's what we want you to do. And Google determines the intent of the prospect. And it's scary because 
it kind of negates the need for the media buyer in that context. You still need the media buyer for a bunch of other things, but mm -hmm. this whole like day-to-day -day micro tweaking, manual adjustments, SCAG key phrase, negative key phrase sculpting, all that stuff the media buyers used to do, like that job not only isn't necessary, it's actually harmful for these campaigns. You don't want to do that. You hurt things. So if you looked at our change history inside of Yellow Leaf Hammocks, you'd think to yourself like, gosh, these guys aren't doing a lot. And yet there's still, there's strategy in place, but you have to look at it from, you know, now we're looking at attribution. We're looking at titles and descriptions. We're looking at feed optimization. So it's a massive change in paradigm. And what I'll say to our listeners is I'm willing to bet 80% of media buyers aren't willing to adopt this yet. And they're in there over-optimizing and they're doing so because they're terrified of what this means for their job. So it needs to be the business owner. This change needs to come from the top down. And there's, there's a ton of nuance to it, but I'm going to pause there and see if everything I've said made sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm looking for probably just a little bit more clarity for the listeners, like what all this stuff is. I, as I started off as a pay-per-click guy, I was known as that and then evolved into the dark world of social media. I know just enough to be dangerous. And now we have an entire division, which is one of the reasons why I love it. Because I think performance max for us just really changed the game working alongside the social media channels. So for people who are not familiar with automation, just your term, and then also smart bidding, maybe you can just define that a little bit more clearly for the non Google people that are out there. Yeah, and I do want to. I want to give credit where credit is due. Broadomation actually isn't a term I coined. It was. It was Santos actually, who our buddy over at Guided PPC. He helps place Google Ad specialists. So shout out to Santos, and he was working for me for a long time, and he's the one that coined Broadomation. And the smart bidding—that's the key here. You can't run broad match and manual bidding. You have to run broad match and smart bidding because Google has to be optimizing against a goal. And smart bidding strategies, it, Google's changed the categorization of the smart bidding strategies, but it's basically maximize conversions or maximize conversion value. Mm -hmm. Those are your smart bidding strategies. And then within that, if you choose to, for maximize conversions, you can set a target CPA. I don't recommend doing this because you limit the learning. So you don't want to do this until you're ready to cut in. If you're trying to scale up, don't have a target CPA. Within maximize conversion value, you can set a target ROAS. I don't recommend doing this because you're going to limit your learning. So you're watching a machine learn and the machine learns on a bell curve. The more hard things you ask the machine to do, the less expansive it's going to be. Mm. And so you want to use broad match phrases and a smart bidding strategy, either maximize conversions or maximize conversion value, depending on your goals and your use case. And I'll talk about that for just a minute, actually, Ralph, if you don't mind. Yeah. Maximize conversions says, hey, Google, all conversions are created equal. I don't care what they're worth. Just bring them to me. And there's a ton of reasons why you would want this. If clients tend to be about the same value to you, then maximized conversions makes a lot of sense. If you've got a sales team, you're just trying to fill up maximized conversions makes a lot of sense. But if you say, you know what? I've got people that spend 50 bucks with me. I've got people that spend $500,000 with me. Maximized conversion value tells Google, go get me more of the better people. Mm. So is there a spectrum of quality prospects and do you want Google to try to adjust for that spectrum? <laughs> Maximized conversions works faster. Almost always is ubiquitous truth, but it doesn't scale as well. And obviously it doesn't help you focus on your profitability. So you want to go after maximize conversion value if there's a big difference in the quality of your prospects. And if you're willing to give that information back to Google, I can't tell you how many clients we have that just don't give us their, their post-conversion data. 
And if that's the case, well, that's just a dude, it's nuts. It's crazy. Why? How many clients we have that their sales team is incapable of reporting back what actually closed. It's unbelievable to me. But if you're in that situation and you just, you're not going to teach an old dog new tricks, then go after maximize conversions. Because, you know, if you don't have the data and you're not going to get it, then there's no reason to be quixotic about it and think to yourself, this is the right way to do it. So this is the way we're going to do it. So for this, in this particular case, and I think that was a great description of smart bidding just in general. In this particular case, are you are going for maximized conversions or conversion value? No, in this particular case, we're going after maximized conversion value. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not have a ROAS set up though as we scale. So they have a 250% ROAS go internally. That's their mm-hmm. goal. But we don't put that into Google. We don't tell that to Google because we want Google to go out and learn. And if you tell Google a specific ROAS goal, it's going to it's gonna put a ceiling on the campaign. Right. So you right. only want to do that when you cut in. Now, when you first started with this customer, like they've been with you for how long now? Over two years, I think going on three years. Okay. Is the 500000 in spend in that one campaign or is that through the lifetime? No, that's just that one campaign. So we do a bunch okay. of other stuff for them. We do top of the funnel, YouTube, DSA, mm-hmm. PMAX, obviously. Right. But this 514 is just in this broad match search campaign. And that's what's so nuts about it, man, is broad match used to be like, oh, if you want to just set your Google ad campaign on fire, go use broad match. And right. it, it was to the point to where I was like, Google, why does this exist? Why are you giving a toddler a handgun? You know what I mean? Like why right. on earth? Are you are giving people a level of flexibility that no matter what is going to ruin their campaigns? And it starts to make sense when you see what happens with smart bidding, because the way to think about it, and I think this is the most important paradigm shift, you're not actually bidding on a keyword, you're bidding on an audience, or you're bidding on an audience with an intent. So if you tell Google the broad match phrase is buy hammocks, you're not bidding on the phrase buy hammocks, because you're not worried about placement any longer. You know, so many media buyers are like, oh, I've got to be position number one. Do you really? Why? Like, why is that important? On a 500 touchpoint paradigm, mm. can you really tell me that that first position on that search in that instance is what is what moved the needle? Instead, you're bidding on an audience with the specific intent. Google knows Ralph wants to buy a hammock. And at this particular point in his life, he actually just needs to see your brand name. He's not even going to click on the ad. And we know that. So I'm going to make you position number three or whatever. It's, it's incredible how, how much this platform knows. It's terrifying. The machines won, it's dude. Unbelievable. And you still stand by the original. I think when we were first talking about Google Performance Max, there was some kind of leaked information that was 72 million data points on every human. 72 on the million planet. data points, yeah. That's insane. And just coming at it from a meta background. And now, obviously, I mean, we're platform agnostic. It's like wh- whatever customer like whatever it takes to get the customer where they ultimately want to be so if that's better if it's google it doesn't really matter point is it's like those are the big two right now and then obviously you've got all the other social channels and everything else that goes along with it but just the fact that google has all this data on us in in plain sight right like there is they do not hide it and who was the one who got raked over the coals for privacy in the last two to three years. It's the platform that doesn't have 72 million data points and maybe has 55, 56,000 on every one of its users, not every human on the planet, which is Facebook. It still just boggles my mind how Google just skated through that whole thing and Zuckerberg took all the arrows. Yeah, it's you know what it is, man? It's Pablo Escobar. They took down Pablo Escobar because he was a symbol. Yes. I was reading this really interesting book 
on drug dealers. And Pablo Escobar, the, his biggest sin wasn't dealing drugs. It was letting everybody know that he was dealing drugs and being real showy about it. That's why they had to take him down. Had he flown under the radar and greased the right palms, he'd probably still be alive. I don't know how old he'd be. But they had to go at that dude. And you'll notice that, like, I, I hate to be so conspiracy theory-esque, but I actually believe that very strongly. It's not that you do something wrong. It's that you do something wrong and people find out about it. And you're and flagrant. Facebook was just real yeah. showy and, and, hey, look at all the data we got. Oh, and Google was just flying right under the radar. They continue to do their data drug dealing and Facebook just got nailed to the wall. It's amazing. It really is. I don't know if you recall this, but I come from the pharmaceutical world prior to doing all this stuff, pharma and medical, which is crazy to think now, but it was like lifetimes ago. But there was a FDA crackdown on off-label usage of certain products. And everybody does it inside the pharma world like every company does it but they took down the big guys they took mm -hmm. down pfizer for neurontin and then they took we were secondary the company that i worked for was secondary and then i was involved in that whole thing actually with the fda which is like sort of part of my interesting backstory but the point is like they they made a big splash with one company really and then stopped doing it for everybody else in essence, like made one or two. Now Purdue Frederick, which you know makes OxyContin, is obviously under the gun of like that's a privately held company, like all these other sorts of things that go along with it. The FDA kind of went after that, but it was the same thing. It was the ones that were so flagrant about it and then made the impact and then shockwaves throughout the entire industry. And then everyone lawyered up and made sure that they were very, very careful about how their marketing was actually done through this off-label issue. But it was the exact same scenario. It's Pablo Escobar again. Yeah, we and, just need to take down. And you know what happens too is people get bored. People get bored. And I think we got bored of privacy first. It was like, all right, privacy is so important and they're stealing our data and okay, we took down Facebook and no, like, it's yeah, fine. Allow the app to fine. track. It's okay. We're bored. Yeah. Move on. Yep. Move on. It's yep. true. COVID's still out there. By the way, did all you right. hear? But no, I'm bored of it, so I don't want to. <laughs> so anymore. it doesn't you know, exist. Like it's, just, it's not interesting to me any longer. Dude, it's like the ozone layer. Like the ozone layer was like this thing that we were – it was really important to us. And then we all just got bored. They fixed that, by the way. Did you hear that? By chlorofluorocarbons, by banning those yeah, in like the aerosols. Right. Badass scientists figured out how to fix the ozone layer, <laughs> saved humanity, and we've never – there's no Leonardo DiCaprio movie about this. Uh, no Nobel <laughs> Prizes. No trillion-dollar grant. There's no right. pat on the back. These guys probably aren't even getting beers at bars. No. They saved the world, but we're all bored of this topic, so it doesn't matter. We don't want to talk about it anymore. That's great. Yeah. No, this is this has been awesome. Uh, so we will leave links in the show notes for everything that we talked about here. I think we made a couple of references to a couple of other shows. And I want to thank you, as always, for listening. And make sure you do subscribe. Leave a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. We're pretty much everywhere now. I can't think of a platform that we're not on. And of course, as always, let us know what we can do better over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. Follow me over on LinkedIn and you'll probably see some of those videos that we talked about in the nugget in my LinkedIn. So tease there and uh, follow Qasim over on Twitter at, at Qasim Aslam. Go back and listen to previous episodes. All resources are over at perpetualtraffic.com on behalf. And don't forget to listen to the customer acquisition show. Yes. Absolutely. Check that out. And on behalf of my awesome co-host, Qasim Aslam, peace. See ya.
You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 